Hey guys, this is Olivia from Rose Petal Writings, and welcome to Rose Petal Musings. Welcome back to Rose Petal Musings, everybody. I'm here with my friend Hannah, and today we're going to talk about the big sad, or writing about grief, and kind of how to have your characters handle grief, and how to convey it best to your readers. Yeah. Um, writing like a sad story does like you're portraying someone's like feelings and knowing how to put cup like make that come off like i'm losing words <laughs> <laughs> there are oh a lot goodness. of words to describe it so <laughs> i know but like i have like a lot of writing in progress like writing in progress means i don't know so, <laughs> yeah Whoops. but um some of them have sad backstories and one of them is even in a prologue and to kind of the gauge like to make it feel real i did research and trauma responses so getting that to like portray correctly was important to me for that but the only like really like emotional story that i wrote about grief i wrote about like in a nonfiction for college which you got to read so I don't want to say I have a lot of experience <laughs> writing about the like trauma and like the big yeah. and, and everything, but I kind of, I get it. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a big sad. It's, it's, it's a normal thing. It kind of gets sensationalized because like you have like in superhero movies, especially you have like the big bad, like the big bad, you're finding the big bad, something happens. And the key there is you can have trauma, you can write a traumatic event in your novel or whatever have you. The key is then to make sure you're in tune enough with your character and with your audience that it doesn't come across flat or like your character has no emotion at all. Because like mm -hmm. apathy is a thing, but if your character sees their best friend die and just kind of gets up and moves along it's like well that's not that's not an actual like no that's not, not going to happen i know if i saw any of my like friends die oh no i i would be a i would be a disaster and there would be no coming back from it exactly and like yes everybody has a different reaction so maybe like they can like get up and walk away just fine but they're not actually fine like and there's a nuance to that that has to be captured i think for it to continue to be authentic and accurate within the writing like sphere. And there is this fun article I found from Harvard Med that talks, yes, the Harvard Med, like we're, we're talking big leagues here, like Ivy League school med that <laughs> talks about grief and depression because like, I know by me saying like the big sad and having that in my title, it sounds like I'm going to start talking about depression and we're kind of going to go into it, but mostly I think we're going to talk about like how they're very similar and how they have similar symptoms, but they're not the same thing. And that's kind of that nuance that I'm mentioning. Like you have to be careful when you're writing about grief that you're not writing about depression or if you're writing about depression you're not writing about grief 
because while they're similar and have a lot of the same symptoms, there, is no there are some key differences. And the article I found, let's see which one it was. No, Harvard, I don't want to subscribe to your publishing. I just wanted the one article. Took <laughs> uh, away their, uh, their money there. Uh, uh, like they need it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but their main thing is like with grief, you get the feeling of depression, not necessarily the mental illness depression. You can feel depressed without having depression. Like you can feel like your emotions are dampened or depressed depressed <laughs> and you can feel apathetic you can feel like you you know don't have that motivation to go on but the key is that does subside as time goes on as you heal and recover from your grief whereas as someone with depression it's always kind of there in the back of your mind like it doesn't ever really truly go away you don't recover from depression. You don't heal from it. It is something you are tackling every single day. Yeah. And I like there are thousands of people suffering with depression. And every day there's someone fighting grief. So kind of knowing like the signs and how to differentiate mm -hmm. that, especially if you're doing like someone lost a parent in a story or something big happened or, you know knowing where to like take your character naturally like are they gonna like slowly kind of come to terms with everything and be like yeah i'm still sad about it but i'm gonna keep going on or are they gonna actually like kind of like i don't want to say like fold in on themselves but viral kind of like that yeah yeah and that's that's a common thing like even in the article they said you know it's a very fine line that's walked with grief and depression, somebody who has depression, their depression can actually worsen with grief. Like they can just full on spiral down if they lose someone they care about. And like, it's very unique to the individual. Like there's, the article I read says, you know, there's no timeline for grief. You can experience any of the seven stages of grief at any point in time. It's not like a linear thing. It can be two years down the road after this and you see something that reminds you of that person and all of a sudden you're right back at square one feeling that deep sadness and it's like yeah grief doesn't truly go away either because sometimes you'll see things like in my case i have cats that i lost like my childhood pets and when i see pictures of them or like see something that they had or like that they enjoyed that still kind of gets to me i still feel that grief yeah. but i can recognize it for something other than what it is like i the best way i guess i can describe it is like grief hurts whereas depression just sucks everything away like it is just a whole bunch of nothing oh yeah and, and kind of like the same way like i've lost pets before but um the big one for me is my grandma mm -hmm. and like during like october like the beginning of october is hard for me because that's when she passed away 
but it's also like if I see a cardinal because she loves cardinals or uh, tiger lilies she loves tiger lilies and like even Peter Pan I love Peter Pan and part of that is because one of my first memories with my grandma was going to go see um, Return to Neverland so that's kind of like stuck with me so but kind of may, maybe a little bit like fueled the Peter Pan like love <laughs> but um like even watching Peter Pan or something I will start thinking about that and I'll just kind of be like mm. like this it hurts still yeah and that was 11 years ago now I was gonna say like my cats were a little more recent but even with my own grandma when I lost her I was 16 I had just turned 16 and so whenever I think about my first car, she gave me my first car. Like she handed me the keys and it was literally like four days later that she passed. So anytime I think about that first car, anytime I see like the letter that she gave me, there's still that residual hurt. Like even now I can kind of feel like you get that feeling in the back of your throat. Like, oh, I'm going to work myself up. Yeah. <laughs> and like actually that uh, like nonfiction story that I wrote was about my grandma which you know but um the entire time I was writing it I was like choking that like I was holding back tears and like mm -hmm. I actually took a break at one point and just cried and that's what you've got to do to live it. yeah and you I think you can apply that to your creative fiction writing as well because when you're learning your characters, when you're getting to know them, you have to kind of put yourself in their shoes. And so I think, you know, when you have a character who loses someone very close to them, they're not going to react the same way that we personally would react. Like, when those things happened to me, yeah, I cried, I had my moment. But for the most part, I was pretty stoked throughout it all. Like, I'm very much... I'm going to have my emotions, I'm going to feel them in the moment, but I process them later. I sit with everything later and not in the moment. I just kind of get myself through it. And then later is when I break down. Some characters will be like that. Like that's a very general explanation without getting into personal details, but like yeah. some characters will be like that. They'll be like, no, we got something to push through. Let's push through. I'll process this later. Like I'll, I'll sit with myself later. Some characters like, no, I got to get this out now. I got to feel all of it now. I got to sit with it now. I have to sit here and grieve now. Yeah. And in learning your characters, I always say like the best authors are the ones who cry over their keyboards. Like you feel yeah. what your characters <laughs> feel. And so when you're writing a scene and you're crying, your audience is going to cry too. And it's going to be the best feeling ever because you have conveyed emotion through paper, through words and paper to your audience. And that is so cool. Yeah, I mean, like, I've read a lot of books that have made me cry and a lot of it involved character death. Yes. So sometimes though, I think some authors, because they kill so many characters or in the way they do it, I sometimes go, they did this on purpose and they're laughing at me because I'm <laughs> sitting in here crying my eyes out. And, there was actually a time in high school where I was in the library reading. I believe it was, um, oh crap, um, Clockwork Princess or something. Oh, I think I have that series. 
Infernal Devices. Yeah, because it's Clockwork Angel, Clockwork Prince, and then Clockwork Princess. I have that series on my shelf. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> no, but <laughs> so I won't spoilers. tell you what happens. But, um, like, I'm preparing myself now. Yeah, at the very end, though, it, like, ripped my heart. Oh. It, like, ripped it right out, and I was oh, like, a crying, like, blubbering <laughs> mess in my high school uh, library in the morning. And I go up to the library and just tears running down my face. I'm just like, this is all. I got to go to the restroom real quick so I can calm down. <laughs> She's like, okay, okay. And like, she just lets me go. And I'm walking past like this horde of football players. And they're just like, oh, God. Was she just reading? <laughs> and now she's like crying. Like, I, I, I hate crying reading. over like books, but the fact that like, I get really attached to a lot of characters yeah. and so like when things happen you know the emotion in the book also plays into mine so I think like a lot of our authors like Cassandra Clare with that last book of that series <laughs> she really conveyed that and I'm just like why yeah <laughs> yeah you know there's um this is gonna sound really dumb but I read a lot of different genres, so I'm just going to preface with that. This isn't the only kind of genre I read, but I did read a Nicholas Sparks book called The Horse Whisperer. Animals get me, man. Animals get me, man. Like, there's, there's a scene in that book, stuff goes down, and I'm just sat there like, I'm the person that cried during Black Beauty, okay? Like, Black Beauty, Flicka, like, I bawled. I'm a crier. I'm trying to remember if I remember watching those. <laughs> <laughs> See, Black Beauty is one of those, like, big classics, like National Velvet. So. I went through a big horse phase growing up. So I'm sitting <laughs> a here lot of did us I did. actually watch it or was it a fever dream? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely read Black Beauty. I don't think, I don't think Black Beauty actually moved me to tears. Like, it was upsetting, but. I also like understood like that was a thing at the times and like Black Beauty has a happy ending. So it wasn't all that bad. And so does Flicka, but like Flicka ripped your heart out and stomped on it a couple of times. Like they really get you going. Like, I remember the titles and I can vaguely remember certain scenes. Oh my I think God. I mostly remember Flicka because I'm pretty sure oh. I made my mom rent it like every other night. <laughs> I didn't put myself through that much. <laughs> I was like, once every once in a while, I'll sit yeah, down and I'll be like, oh my god, I love this movie. I'm going to sit down and watch again. And afterwards, I'm like, oh, what did I do to myself? Rewatch it now. We're going to have a watch party later. We're just going to yeah. go, go on Facebook Live and be like, here, you get to see us cry on live. <laughs> gonna get to the scene towards the end with the mountain lion and we're just gonna be like in tears the minute we see it like the scene is gonna start it's not even gonna happen and we're both gonna be there like in tears already just like we know what happens but that's a sign of good writing because like you've gotten us attached to the characters you made them relatable in some way shape or form and now you're giving us this moment that happens with these characters this trauma that happens 
And now we feel for the characters, we are also getting a taste of what they feel. And it's almost in a sense making us as the audience grieve with the character. And that is such a sign of good writing because there are writers out there, I won't name names, a very popular series that may or may not have a show series on HBO that failed its final season miserably. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thinking about that for a second. I'm like, HBO series? I won't name names, but like, you know what I'm talking about. I think everyone about. can kind of get, get the idea though. There's only so many HBO shows. Won't name names. Can't legally get me because I didn't name names. But that to me is a sign of sensationalist writing. Like it's, you don't, like, I guess people got attached to the characters, but they didn't get attached to them long enough before something happened. That is someone who, like, yes, it's a neat idea that no character is truly safe. Like you don't have your golden hero. You don't have your plot armor, which is nice. It's a good concept. I'll give the author that. Yeah. But when you kill off a character just to kill off a character that's not good writing <laughs> that's lazy like yeah, you're yeah. you don't know what else you're doing with the characters so you just get rid of them mm-hmm. and well, if some of them deserved it though i will <laughs> a certain blonde deserved it <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say a certain short that... little blonde king <laughs> <laughs> there are some characters that deserve it and that's where I see like little bits of talent poking through like, okay, like mm-hmm. this author kind of knows what they're doing, but then they come in with the rest of the cast that they, you know, write out. And it's like, you could have done so much more with this character. Like there were directions you could have taken this. And with how it, with how it kind of leads up to the climax and then with how it ends, it just felt very flat. Like I didn't actually read through all of it because I never really got interested in the first place. But in watching the discourse that happened for people who enjoyed it, there was a lot of upset. There was a lot of like, you just took this character and completely removed the arc that they had and put him into a downward spiral that made him just the same as any other character. Like it's- That's annoying, I think. Yeah. And it's I like- haven't... Yeah, I haven't like watched all of that show. Like, I watched a few, like seven episodes of the first season, <laughs> and I'm still salty about the dog. Oh yeah, still salty. And, and that's, that's another thing that gets me when you just have animal violence in there just to have it in there. That's sensationalist writing, and you are wrong. There's a, there's a kind of wrong writing out there and it is just causing harm to cause harm because you think it'll shock your reader. Yeah, and it, it shocked me, but it also put, put me in like a fit of rage and it still does to this day, which I, yes, I it's like... down. <laughs> <laughs> Get around <Wow>. up. <laughs> but seriously though, like if you do that just to rile your readers up, there is a chance that, you know, like, in this author's case, it could skyrocket you to fame. But in most writers' cases, I feel it just 
since we've already said the some key trigger words in here that YouTube is probably going to yell at me for, it pisses your readers off. Like it yeah. just it makes them mad, and they never pick up another book of yours because they know what you're like. They know what you are as an author yep. from this book, and they're going to make assumptions about every other book that you write based off of the book that they read. So authors have to be careful about when they do things like trauma and grief because if they do it wrong such as senseless sensationalist killing you're going to lose your audience and there goes all your profits and what are you even writing for like exactly if you want to be a published author if you don't want to do well you have to keep it your audience in mind you can write what you want like if you truly want to write that that's fine don't expect it to sell well I mean, like, I, I love book talk because it gives me a lot of recommendations. Most of them are <laughs> problematic. <laughs> I wouldn't say they're problematic. Uh, the one series, the series I'm reading now, The Haunting Adeline or whatever. Okay. Trigger warnings. <laughs> like that whole, that entire, like, for, like, the first, I was told, like, hey, you know, there's some graphic stuff in this book. And I'm like, okay, whatever, because I don't really yeah. have any like, triggers. The one chapter in the book gave me one. You learned that you do. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> and so the entire way through the book, I'm just going, am I going to sit through that again? And I finished the first book. And the whole entire, like, first page of the second book is just, or actually is like one or two pages of just trigger warnings. And I'm like, Yikes. Although I will yeah. say, I like that authors include trigger warnings. Yeah. I think it's definitely a thing that you need to include because it's again, keeping your audience in mind. Yeah. You're like, I want you to read this, but if this is going to harm you, I don't want you to read this because I don't want to harm you. Yeah. And so I think that's definitely like a good thing to include, which I'm probably gonna include trigger warnings in the description here because we are talking a lot about like, heavy yeah. stuff and i did put warnings out beforehand but like yeah <laughs> some people ignore those because like you said like some people don't have triggers or like don't have these triggers per se or don't realize that they have them but i'm i'm probably still gonna put them out because i there's one well there are a couple of books i read i actually learned that even though never experiencing it myself I cannot read books about domestic violence. It just, it makes me spiral. Like it sets me off. It's a trigger for me, despite never having experienced it myself. So I, I'm definitely going to clarify that. Like, <laughs> I post about my fiance a couple of times. So I'm, I'm just going to clarify extra clear explicitly. I have not been a victim of domestic violence myself. Like I'm it's like it kind of like angers you because you know yes. there are people who went through that and yes. sitting there and reading about it like yeah that might be like interesting for other people to read but like since yeah like, and it, personally i wouldn't be able to read it because i'd be like i want to fight a fictional person <laughs> not even that like this is those like two different reactions you it makes angry um whereas with me it actually scares me 
like it, it wigs me out. It freaks me out. And I'm just like, I, I literally can't handle it because I'll sit there and be like, what prevents this from happening to me? Like, how's this not going to happen to me, even though there's no reason for it to like, I'm, I feel like I need to keep stressing that because like I wig myself out and put myself on that path, even though it's never happened to me and likely never will because, you know, I'm, I was careful in choosing my partner and I like to think that I've chosen very well, but thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But it's like books with domestic violence. Like I can't read those because it sends me to a dark place. And so if like that's included as like a trigger warning, like I know Sarah Dessen wrote that book that I read that freaked me out before trigger warnings were a thing, like a, a common thing I'll say. So she didn't include them. So it kind of snuck up on me and I didn't realize it at first. And I think like that was her intent and she did it very well. She's a very good writer. Like I love Sarah Dessen. And one of her books, I absolutely adore. Like it's one of my favorite books, Easy. But this other book that she wrote is a book that I love, but I'm never going to read again (laughs) because of how bad it shook me. And there's one book that I will reread, but I think should include a trigger warning. It's, I wrote a paper on this in college. Um, This was for Mr. Woolley's class. It was about blood magic. I think that's actually what the book was called, Blood Magic. Um, do I have it on my... <laughs> Did I read this paper? I don't know. We were in that class together, and I'm trying to see if I can see it on my shelf. I, I think we It's got to be somewhere. It was like a gray book. It was like this bluish gray and had... I think it had a knife on the cover. Might have had a knife on the cover. Had a, had a stabby stabby. We there's so many trigger warnings on this video because I'm just saying stuff. I'm just saying stuff at this point. You just be like, what happened to her? She went from talking about like taking vacations and taking care of yourself to talking about knives and death. <laughs> you know, considering like the topic though that we're talking about, like grief and depression and like sad and like trauma and everything, we're still laughing. So. Exactly. And that's even a thing like in my case a little bit of personal knowledge about me I'm more likely than not haven't officially been diagnosed but more likely than not have seasonal depression so and you've seen this with me like you you've definitely seen the signs and I think I've told you at some point too it usually starts a little bit closer to actual like winter seasons like deep winter goes into the early spring but it technically starts right around fall where I start to feel it, but I ignore it. Not good. I'm just going to say that right now. That's not a good thing. Do not ignore it if you start seeing signs. But on the alternative end, I'm sat here, I'm laughing, I'm wearing bright colors. My hair is a bright color. I'm a very, I like to consider myself as like a very bright and bubbly person who likes dark things fall is my favorite season Halloween is my favorite holiday but that's when my seasonal depression starts and so I can't always control if all of a sudden in the middle of like 
I usually feel like towards the end of December and like middle of January, like <laughs> right when the spring semester started. <laughs> oh, it was great. We'd be coming back after winter break and I would just be like, I'm already tapped out. I'm already done. And uh, before I got diagnosed with that, I don't, I don't even know if I got officially diagnosed because they're like, we're pretty sure you have this. Like, it's a very likely chance that you have this. Here's what you can do to kind of mitigate it. But I don't actually know if it's on my paperwork anywhere. Because <laughs> I basically did like the little like whiteboard test that they gave you at the doctor's office with your general practitioner after the college psychologist was like, hey, pretty sure you have this because <laughs> she can't technically diagnose like she can't officially diagnose but she she was very intelligent I really liked her and she helped a lot like once she started saying like I'm pretty sure this is what's going on with you like you're these are the symptoms that you're giving me this is what you're telling me here's what I think it is and that that is its own kind of grief because you have to kind of sit back and think like well before I knew that like this is how much I missed out on like I missed out on so much because of this and it's just the depression like mine really hits when it starts getting dark at like five o'clock mm-hmm. and or if I'm just like some days I'll just sit there and be like I I don't want to do anything I just want to lay here stare at the ceiling and do nothing yeah so it really hits me during the winter time which is something else because <clears throat> excuse me my favorite holiday is Christmas because all the fancy lights and like the smells and everything like I just love like I love Christmas time activities I hate the winter <laughs> Absolutely. I, I hate the winter. I hate snow. I hate ice. I hate everything about it. But the bright lights and the happy music and it just, I don't know. I just love Christmas. But the whole like getting dark by five o'clock thing just, it ruins it a lot. <laughs> I'm. I'm very much not a Christmas person. I feel like Christmas is a little too saccharine for me. Um, like the candy canes, the bright colors, the Hallmark movies. There are already Hallmark movie commercials. I'm mad. I'm there's mad. Actually, there's actually a channel specifically yes. just for Christmas movies. And round. I'm like, that's I great. <laughs> but nobody else can give me shit. For wanting to have Halloween all year round. That's like, funny. I have people telling me in August, like a month before, two months before, <laughs> I know what months we have. <laughs> I, I know what the months are, but I'll be, I'll start getting excited in August. Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not getting decorations out. I'm just getting excited. And people yeah. are like, calm down there, calm down. It's getting a little too dark here. It's still That's summer. Funny. I'm like, listen here. Getting Halloween stuff in in August. They do, and it like makes July, me excited. August. So like, <laughs> I, get like I can't say anything. The dollar store down the road from me has Christmas stuff already. 
I know. And I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) wait, what month is this? (laughs) Everything comes earlier and earlier every year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, ah, what the heck? Ugh. But even then, like, you can love, you can love a certain time of holiday. You can love Valentine's Day for all I care. Like, you can just be so excited for Valentine's Day. And you can just be like, this also depresses the shit out of me because I'm single. And I feel like I'm never going to have someone. And that's another way you can grieve you can grieve all the holidays that you enjoy but you don't feel like you get to fully enjoy well kind of like how you said uh you can mourn a holiday Mm -hmm. i actually do like i mourn uh thanksgivings and christmases because after my grand passed away all of our traditions kind of went with her our first Christmas without her, I don't think we put the Christmas tree up until Christmas night. And it was a really like, hey, the tree's up kind of thing. Whereas with my gram, on Thanksgiving, we'd be putting all the Christmas decorations up and like baking pies at like 3 a.m. So like all that kind of went with her and like all the memories of that, like it warms my heart to like remember them, but it's, I still grieve. It's a thing that hurts when you think about it. Cause it's like, well, this is what we used to do and now it hurts too much to do anymore. So we don't do it anymore. And that also hurts. Yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and like, not to downplay the feeling of losing family, but like to me, pets are family too. And like, I know you feel the same way. So it's (laughs) like the year, the year we lost my cats because I lost them like February, March. (laughs) All right. There was like a really weird sound. (laughs) Continue. I lost them like February, March, literally five weeks apart to the day, five weeks apart. And that Christmas, because <laughs> this was, we were still in school, but we were doing Zoom University. And my mom wanted to get right back to decorating the tree and like taking care of things. I was still at home. So she's like, okay, let's do it this day. Because your dad works the other day. Is that okay? And I'm, at first I'm like, oh well, yeah, that's fine. Not even thinking about it. And then I'm trying to work on a paper. And she wants to do the tree and I'm not really feeling it and it was after I came down and got really irritable and snapped at her that it kind of hit me this is the first Christmas without my cats yep and it was hard everything upset me because my cats loved the Christmas tree too like they were both always like in it they were drinking the water they were which 50 50 on whether they actually should have been but you try and stop a cat from drinking water if they wants to drink water like just saying (laughs) but they were always like they loved the tree they love to check it out they love to be a part of it 
they love the water, they love to sit with it. And not having them there, it just made this whole big hole in everything. And it just, and because I already have depression, and as I mentioned, it's seasonal, it just made it all worse. And the way mine manifests is I will get irritable if I'm put in front of triggers or things that worsen my symptoms because I kind of, that's the most confrontational or aggressive that I would get is I'll just get irritable. I'll just become a massive bitch. That's fine. fine. I mean, it's not the healthiest coping mechanism, but it's a coping mechanism. So we roll with it. We we try to be better. Exactly. And to kind of loop it back to writing, that's kind of what you have to figure out for your characters. Like, Like, is your character going to be that person that just sits down and cries when they experience a trigger? Like, is it just going to make them feel so much that they cannot handle it, that they just sit down and cry? Are they going to get upset and just walk away? Or are they going to get angry? And is that anger going to manifest verbally? Is it going to manifest physically? Are they going to take a swing at someone who upsets them? (laughs) And that's... (laughs) Go ahead. You you were on a roll. I, I'm just <laughs> Look, man, I'm I'm just gonna keep rolling like a rolling stone. Like it's just gonna keep going. <laughs> but it's <laughs> we've got this podcast thing down. Like it's oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Back to trauma. Sure. Such a light topic. And that's what we do. We're basically like, we keep laughing about it. It's not necessarily a funny thing in and of itself, but you got to kind of laugh about it or else it's going to upset you. Because as we've both mentioned multiple times here, we've experienced our fair share of traumatic events. Like not necessarily like trauma in the traditional sense, but losing a loved one is traumatic. And here comes my dog. <laughs> oh boy. Well, your boyfriend's not your dog. Oh, well, that's a shame. No. What a drama king. <laughs> he is. <laughs> <But> anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's we both experienced you know trauma not exactly in the traditional sense but something everybody goes through because it is traumatic to somebody like not have somebody you're used to having there like it's you know you're not your traditional like you lost them in a fire or like it's not what people would normally think of so I I feel weird using traditional because it's like you you still lose people it's a tradition to lose people almost (laughs) because you know that's how the life cycle goes (laughs) that's very dark oh no that's a very dark way to think about it though it's tradition to lose people but yeah it's it's really dark to think about but that's why we laugh about it because we understand it's a part of the life cycle that's why it's can be considered like a tradition because we have these rituals we have funerals are a ritual to respect 
and let go of the dead. Yeah. And speaking of bawling like a mess, <laughs> and speaking of how different people handle things, when Seth lost his great, well, I've said his name before, when Seth lost his great grandparents, he was able to get through their funerals just fine. Like he, he cried a little bit at his past funeral, but me, who hadn't known them as long, who hadn't been raised by them like he had, I was a blubbering mess. <laughs> like, I don't know what it was because I'm pretty sure for my pap's funeral, I was like eight years old when he died and he died of cancer. Like it's the most common tale you hear of, which is sad to say, but also true. Like it's, yeah. it was a rough time, but I don't remember crying at my pap's funeral at all. I don't think I shed a single tear. I don't think I really understood what was going on. Probably not. Probably not. But at the same time, like, I knew he was gone. I knew he wasn't coming back. But since then, I have bawled like a baby because that's how I process grief. I didn't know I was grieving beforehand. And now I do. And so now I'm like, okay, here's what I'm going to feel. This ritual, this funeral is where I get to process it. This is where I'm, it's okay and acceptable for me to sit with it. Yeah. And that's another thing you can kind of play in your characters. Like, do they have their own little rituals? Do they, they have their own way of saying goodbye? And it's really great for world building because different cultures have their own funerals, have their own burial rites, that, burial rites, if I can yeah. speak today, that they use for people. I feel the not being able to speak today. I, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> oh, but, happy yeah, Saturday. Like, yeah. But yeah, like, also, everyone's going to treat those traditions differently as well. Because, like, when my grandpa passed, yeah, I went to the viewing, but I couldn't bring myself to have to go in and see her. And I couldn't bring myself to go to the funeral either mm-hmm. because I was just like, I don't want my last memory to be mm-hmm. her going into the ground. And that's how people will do it. Like, I think everyone in my family has gotten cremated. Nobody's gotten buried that I know of. Well, Cessna and Pap got cremated and buried, like they got interred in the ground. But we also have a couple of keepsakes. We have little necklace mementos with their ashes mixed together in them. Yeah. Which is another thing. Like, are they going to keep a part of that person? And one example of this in writing is Emma, once upon a time, the shoelace. And as well, I believe, her flower tattoo. I think both of those are mementos that she keeps. You're trying to remember, aren't you? (laughs) What season was this brought up in? Because my brain is still at the point. I don't remember. (laughs) It's and that's that's what I liked about their writing because they don't bring it up at first. All you see is the shoelace on her wrist, and she uses it to cover up the flower at first. I think it's 
it's not season one because I'm almost all the way through season one again and it hasn't been brought up that I don't love but I don't even remember her wearing a shoelace on her wrist (laughs) that was like early season one (laughs) after a while she stops wearing it because she goes through some character growth she eventually stops wearing it but I think like season two or three where she actually like talks about it three is peter pan the end of to introduce peter pan but season three peter pan has a lot of good discussion about emma's past emma's trauma and i think it handles it in a really good way because emma is a character who doesn't like to talk about her trauma she builds up walls she doesn't like to talk about it and so the writers put her in a place where she has to reckon with it she has to open up about it or else nothing gets accomplished and it also like in that season too like um when the lost boys are shooting like arrows at them Mm -hmm. and charming gets hit by one of the arrows like he goes through like a decision going i shouldn't tell them about this yeah it was a dumb decision but yeah and like that in itself he's probably like he was probably going through the motions Mm -hmm. about like that too like he had to come to terms like i'm not gonna make it off the island i'm leaving my family basically like he had to process that and i think him not telling them at first was a bad move on his part but at the same time i can't stand the charmings But at the they same make time, a like, lot you of questionable decisions. <laughs> they do. They really do. And I like that they did that with them. Like, I think it makes them very interesting characters, if not necessarily likable. Like, it's. And that's the thing. They can be interesting characters. They can have really good writing. And they can still drive you nuts. Like, you can love to hate a character on Bridge. Oh, yeah. You can love to hate a character. And lover or hater, that was pretty good writing. Yes. <laughs> Brief interruption. <laughs> oh boy, okay. Oh boy. Later discussion. Later discussion. What? <laughs> Mild interruptions from spouses. You know. <laughs> but yeah like even, I personally I hate the Charmings in that show I hate Rumpelstiltskin but sometimes I do enjoy them like yes. the Frozen season yes. I actually enjoyed the Charmings That's especially at the end of it where they were just insulting each other oh I loved it <laughs> I don't know what this is about me as a person but <laughs> too he did and, and he almost redeemed himself a few times but then he was just kind of like mm, backtrack and that's kind of how they wanted to handle his character like they wanted him to be close to redeemable but not like they didn't want him to ever truly change and as much as i love the show i think that is one of the downfalls like they almost ran out of villains 
So they needed to kind of keep him in their pocket as like a big bad. And so they didn't let him have the same character growth as the others. And the Charmings didn't really have a ton of growth either. Like most. No, no they didn't. (laughs) And that's what makes characters irritating. That's what makes them a little frustrating for your audience is when they see potential for growth or if they see like other characters growing and these characters aren't that's kind of where you run into an issue because it's like well why aren't these characters growing like if they gave us a good reason if they're like you know the reason Rumpelstiltskin isn't going to change the reason the Charmings won't change is because xyz and granted as long as it makes sense then it's like okay that makes sense within the context of the show or the novel we can work with that we as an audience can understand and accept that but just doing it with no real reason why other than these characters are stubborn and rooted in their ways excuse me isn't exactly good writing no it's really not it's and that was my issue with neil I hate Neil as a character. His acted a phenomenal job. This. Yes. We discussed this in the last one we did together. I do it a lot. <laughs> it I, always goes back to I hate him. Time. <laughs> <laughs> it all goes back to Once Upon a Time. <laughs> it's a denominator. And it's a good example of like long writing. Like, yeah. honestly, we could get into the whole like supernatural ran into a repetition of episodes where they have, you know, a formula that they follow and that's where it started like my parents mentioned as the seasons started getting longer as they started having more seasons they started picking up on that formula and it started getting less interesting yeah and the reason we keep coming back that once upon a time is because it's an example of a show that had plenty of seasons it has since wrapped up and it's got examples of both good, excellent, and not so excellent writing. And so I think it's really easy to be like, you know, this was an example of something I really liked because we've both seen it. We both know what we're talking about. Like the whole thing with Emma's shoelace and the bug, like we know what those mean for the most part. <laughs> I know what the bug means. <laughs> the shoelace, I'm so yeah. what? <laughs> I think it's because I'm re-watching it that I'm like the shoelace. I see the shoelace. But it's we're able to pick and see, like, you know, this is really subtle, like this is an example of her character growth. Like Emma's makeup. As she wore less and less makeup, she was more and more open as a character. Like the pilot, she was done to the nines. She had a full face of makeup, the red leather jacket, full armor. By the time we get to the end, I think the very last episode, I can't remember. I don't think I watched the very last episode, but I don't think she has the leather jacket. I don't think she has any makeup. Makeup. I don't, I don't think so. So it's like when you compare the two together, that's really cool. Because you're like, here's season one, Emma, who is very closed off, will not open up to anyone. And then here's Emma at the end of it all, who is very open, very vulnerable, and understands where she is, who she is, where she comes from. 
Yeah, and the entire time she's working through her own like grief mm-hmm. and sadness and everything. Yeah, so, she she had to come to terms with the fact that she lost her parents, got them back, and now they're the same age as her. Yeah, that's like, dramatic in itself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Oof. a lot of people are used to having their parents be the same age as them. Emma did not. And I think that was a very interesting route that they explored. So it's once my time is really easy for us to compare, I think, because we have each of those moments of good, bad, and ugly writing yeah. that we can kind of point at. I always come back to Neil because I despised him as a character and I feel like they drug him on a little longer than they should have. But one thing I noticed in season one is where Emma first tells Henry that Neil was a firefighter who died saving a family. Yeah. She still even has walls up with Henry and she doesn't want him to know that Henry's dad is the reason she was in jail in the first place. Yeah, because that's also traumatic for Henry. Yeah, like that would be something that would hurt him he would have to come to terms with my dad put my mom in jail and just kind of try and figure it out from there like how do I cope with this what do I do with this you're back <laughs> I have a little bit of technical issues today but I, I think I blustered through that enough that there wasn't a dead silence so I think we're good <laughs> but yeah like it's that whole show is really good at showing people like showing characters going through different stages of grief and going through different like stages of everything so i think that show is actually a perfect sample for a lot of things does that make sense yeah and it's i think it had the potential to do that just because like we had those traditional fairy tale stories to build off of and there were so many of them that they could kind of pick and choose and explore like different options for each yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, like grief and depression, they're difficult to write about, but sometimes, sometimes you just have to write about it. And it can even be like, you can just do like a writing exercise about it. You could journal about it yourself and just kind of sit with it but if you have I feel like if you have a traumatic scene you kind of have to sit with your characters learn them and be like you know this is how my character is this is who they are this is how they're going to react to this before you sit down and write because I I used to not plot everything out I used to be what's called a panzer I'm a plotter now and it, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but plotting is it definitely helps and you hate to hear it but it I helps I honestly probably should and it's but. yeah it it kind of makes you mad at first with how much it helps because you're like <laughs> it. now I have a direction <laughs> I can't just sit here and scroll twitter for days <laughs> See, mine's not Twitter, it's Pinterest. It's, it's been Twitter lately because of a bunch of 
drama from a certain company that I've been keeping up with. Yes. Um, which we can talk about with our other podcast. Yes, which we are going to plug. We don't have a name yet, but it's going to be three of us sat together talking about like modern media, pop culture, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> in the same episode that I talk about National Velvet. <laughs> So this is gonna be interesting. We're gonna see how this goes. <laughs> I'm gonna have to start being up to date now, I guess. But <laughs> yeah. you can we'll start by watching that horrible free movie series on Netflix. <laughs> I feel you like know what I'm talking about. I feel like it's appropriate to watch. It's not. It's really not. But um. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say you're going to enjoy them because you're not, <laughs> but and that's an interesting thing to explore. Like one of these days we might have to do something about like, and we can even have this in the comments. Like if you guys think we should talk about like, you hate to love it. Yeah. Head of books and movies. And that can be something we cover here. Uh, that could be something we cover in the new podcast, which I'll probably announce on socials once we come up with a name and kind of yes. go from there, getting that all set up. But yeah, that one we might have a more set schedule for just because we have to coordinate three people. Yes. Uh, this one is still not going to have a set publishing schedule just because this is a podcast that I do in my spare time. Um, this is when I have spare time. <laughs> So it doesn't really make sense for me to have a publishing schedule for this, but more to be announced. I'm cutting further down. Thank you guys so much for listening. And you can find Hannah at <laughs> uh, you, uh, Twitter at uh, Hannah Meadow, uh, Instagram Hannah Abigail ninety six, or you could also look up my website uh, Hannah Meadow Photos dot uh, WordPress dot com. And you can find me at on Twitter at Rose Pittle Writer. You can find me on Instagram at Olivia.RosePittleWritings. You can find me on Facebook at the Rose Pittle Writings page. And you can always go to my website, RosePittleWritings.com, or email me, Olivia.RosePittleWritings at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Stay safe, stay hydrated, moisturized. I hope you guys have a great fall. <laughs>